Warning, we all agree that convenience is good, but the question is convenience for whom? And convenience to do what? You're seriously wrong. You're seriously wrong. You're seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. You're wrong. You're seriously wrong. You're wrong. You're seriously wrong. You're wrong. You're Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. My name is Sean. And I'm Aaron. And it's very convenient for you to hear us all today. When you call something convenient like that, it almost sounds sarcastic to be like, oh, this is convenient. You're able to listen to us. But if it weren't for the telecommunications networks and cultural context that gives rise to leftist comedy podcasts in the year 2019, the technological and social basis of that, the people out there who are very interested in hearing what Aaron and I think would be just shit out of luck. Yeah, most people, definitely. And nor would we have the convenience of seeking out an audience to listen and hear what we're thinking about and what we're working on. We'd have to search it out in a much less convenient way for us. Yeah, like radio or something. I was thinking even before that, like going up to people on the street and just sort of explaining the basic ideas that are important to us to them. Yeah, you could get a little soapbox. Two, really, two a little soapboxes stand. next to each other. Yeah. And, and we have to get a soundboard of some kind for when we do the sketches. Oh, yeah. I was thinking even pre-technology. Then it would be more like a cone to amplify your voice and you do your best to make sound effects. I was thinking pre-cones. <laughs> Before the cone was invented. But yeah, a bunch of technological innovation has created the preconditions that have allowed for the modern podcasting infrastructure and culture to flourish. And it's a real convenient thing. Just the accessibility where you're able to like search a topic and then find people talking about that topic. Yeah, or to like send a message out to your pre-curated community that you already exist within on social media and say, hey, what are some good podcasts? I'm looking for podcasts. And you get many responses. Even take a step further back and just the smartphone itself is such a convenience in that you've got access to tomorrow's weather. You've got access to a calculator, the contact numbers of everyone that you've collected the contacts of. You've got all these means of self-expression, games. You have a machine that you can just ask questions to, like how tall is the Statue of Liberty or can jet fuel melt the Statue of Liberty? There's all these things that you could type into the Google machine and it'll give you an answer. That's pretty convenient. To figure out whether or not jet fuel could melt the Statue of Liberty before the internet, I don't know, you go to a library and you, first you got to find out what the Statue of Liberty is made of, the mass, it's a lot of work. So yeah, actually, you know, I, I like convenience. I think convenience is good. And I think convenience often gets sort of a bad rep. For people who get cynical about convenience, or like, oh, this convenience culture these days, you know, people so lazy, they just want their Amazon packages to be dropped off at their door. They just want to laze around like the blob of people from Wally. Is that the vision of ultimate convenience that we're striving for, Wally? Like, that's the criticism that that's what it is. That's what we're heading towards. The consumerism on planet Earth has gotten so rampant that everyone is floating around in hover chairs and is morbidly obese. Hover chairs are more convenient for many things. Like if you have trouble reaching the top shelf for shorter people, 
or going upstairs for people with mobility issues. A hover chair could be really convenient. Or even just if I wanted to clean the ceiling. Have the hover chair go up and get up there. Yeah, it could even tilt me back a little bit so I'm at an angle and then just... Let's see a regular chair do that. It's like a lazy boy. you just in the lazy boy hovering and cleaning the ceiling. What are we supposed to do? Look at Wally as this cautionary tale and then when someone invents the hover chair say, no, no. <laughs> it's the first step towards Wally. <laughs> Don't liberate the people who have mobility issues of the world with your hover chair. It's too much of a slippery slope. Soon everyone's going to be lazing around. Everyone's such natural freeloaders. As soon as we don't have to use our legs, we'll be like, well, screw this. <laughs> Before we get on with this episode, I think we should put in that tape we spoke about. Oh, the tape, the business tape. Okay, yes. So I'll just wheel this out here and uh, slide that in. Just sure. Hit play. Hello and welcome to the business. All right, let's get down to business and explain how this podcast is made. Well, first you have to have an idea. Someone gets an idea and then we talk about the idea and then we decide to do the idea. That's three steps. There's ideas we want to do, but we don't get around to it. And then maybe eventually we're like, you know what? I wouldn't do that episode now. Then we move on to the research. So we try to put some time into research and just find out some stuff that we didn't know before that is relevant. Otherwise, we'll have nothing to say. Then we record. And in that process, we do some writing back and forth, pitching ideas for some comedy bits. And so each of these steps takes some not insignificant amount of time. For example, today, Sean arrived at my place to start recording at 3 p.m. And it's currently 11 p.m. And we're still recording pretty close to being done. And like, we're not recording that whole time. We're working on ideas, working through ideas about how it's going to come out in the end. After that, we take the raw audio that we have. Currently three hours and 42 minutes and counting. And some of that is background stuff, but a good chunk of it is us generating content of some kind, talking about the stuff we researched or ideas. Yeah, so you take the raw audio, go over it, remove all the silence, remove all the ums and ahs. Then you say, where do all these pieces go? We got to put them into an order that makes sense. And like, maybe I'll take some of this part of the conversation and move it over here and you put it all together and then start from the beginning again and you do another pass over the whole thing and be like oh is that part of that sentence necessary is that word necessary is that paragraph necessary maybe we should move some of these parts or maybe I'll just start this whole part over again and of course at this time you're also searching for sound effects every song you have to do google like what kind of song do i want this to be what mood should it be you listen to different ones try it out with that bit of audio come back to it an hour later and be like no what actually i don't like that song i spent 20 minutes picking i'm gonna go spend more time picking another song i need three different background sounds for this sketch i need mosquitoes i need wind and i need a cow on and on it goes then you start over from the beginning again and just try to make sure everything sounds as good as possible that the edits are clean weird sounds are edited out and sometimes maybe a fourth one and it takes a long time and if it didn't take a long time and it could just come out fully formed maybe we wouldn't ask for money but because it takes so much time that it competes with the things in our lives that we need to do to make money we thought, hey, what if this thing made money and then we could keep spending all this time on it? That would make that possible. And that would be great. And then we said, let's ask people for money. Is there a website that's already made that possible? And there was, and it's called Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash seriously wrong and give us $6 a month, you can pay us for all that stuff we're doing and get free gifts like bonus episodes so yeah that's how the show works in the back end and pop us out please i'll just pop that out yeah hell of a tape throw that bad boy in the garbage and set it on fire and uh on with the show
Yeah, I think our culture right now has a very ambivalent relationship to convenience. Like when things become more convenient, they're praised endlessly in like advertising copy and in like journalism and like tech journalism is a great example like oh this new thing will make x thing more convenient this app it's so good and so then there's the reactions against convenience there's a lot i think they all have a point but broadly i think all the criticisms of convenience can be fit into the structure of unintended consequences the definition of convenience is the state of being able to proceed with something with little effort or difficulty so just reducing difficulty making things run smoother, reducing the effort needed to complete a task. That is convenience. And the criticism is there's unintended consequences for that. So the conservative criticism is making things less difficult is bad because we need difficulty in our lives. You got to build character by instead of having a dishwasher, washing all the dishes by hand. I had a dishwashing job when I was young and it sucked and I hated it, but it taught me the value of a hard day's work, kicked my ass into gear and I realized I wanted to go to college. Otherwise I'd be doing this for my whole life. Kids these days, since we invented the photocopier have completely lost their skill to painstakingly transcribe the complete article over to another piece of paper by hand. Yeah. Oh, it's so amazing. Just thinking of all the pre-convenience realities for things like that. Like legitimately, if you wanted a copy of a letter someone sent to give to someone else or like a court document, oh, we need an extra copy of that. Someone has to like type that out again. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting frame to think about like the history of convenience through is like how we in the modern day have come up in a world that is completely full of these already completed conveniences, these huge step forwards in time and energy. We take for granted because we don't think or know about it. Like, I'm not saying like we're spoiled or something. It's just like, it's the normal thing to anticipate there's going to be public transit in major cities. You don't have to walk places on foot. If you want to send a parcel to someone, there's the means to do so. If you need to wash your clothes, there's a machine for that, either in your building or in a building nearby that you can walk to. Like you don't have to break out your washboard. I don't know anyone who breaks out the washboard and soap for their clothes because what conveniences do is relieve a burden. So when you've grown up or spent decades in a society where nobody has that particular burden, the idea of it being reintroduced, it doesn't seem like, oh, that's just a convenience that's being taken away. That's a positive that we're losing. It feels like a huge loss of something like the convenience becomes the baseline which fits into this conservative critique because they're seeing it as degrading our skills like we no longer have washing clothes by hands well skills like i know there's the board you rub it on the board like i could figure it out i'm sure it's not that hard <laughs> or if i was trying to garden or grow my own food so i don't have those skills and people feel the loss of that the loss of those skills the loss of that experience as something they'll be nostalgic for and i mean to the extent that that is i don't want to say a problem but that there are valuable experiences lost because of convenience i think people naturally already find ways to reintegrate that kind of stuff into your life so like people go camping which is voluntary inconvenience on purpose and like how inconvenient you make it becomes like a status thing like oh your campsite you went to has showers and running water oh man that's not for me <laughs> i like a little bit more inconvenient camping uh, but like there's real like value in that and finding people find value in those experiences people find value in 
building things from scratch when they don't have to because they want to know how it's made. Arts and crafts and hobbies are generally all voluntary inconveniences because like if you make your own kombucha, you could just buy kombucha, but you want to do it. You want to take on the voluntary inconvenience because you find meaning in that difficulty that you, you want to overcome that hurdle for yourself. That's not going away either. Like we already do that all the time. People pick and choose things that they want to do and learn for themselves and carry those skills on more as like a niche thing. Like some people really know all about how to grow food. It would have been more common knowledge when everyone was farmers. But now that everyone's not farmers, way less people know about it. But those skills are still there. And like, if you want to connect to that human activity that we've had throughout history of planting your garden, or like, you can do that. It's still available. Going to a live music concert is sort of like a voluntary inconvenience. You have all these songs at home to play any time, which was like historically unprecedented. The idea that you could have your favorite lute player. And you're giving a perfect performance every time, well-produced. In yeah, your absolutely. dining hall, even though he's off in France yeah, playing right. lute for other industrialists. But instead, people voluntarily, they're like, oh, I want the trade-offs. I miss the dirtiness of it. Oh, I think it was Brian Eno said that the things that make any medium imperfect become its calling cards when the next medium comes on. So mm -hmm. like VHS right. scratches, kissing of the record player, those sort of things become identified with past mediums and like in a sentimental way. And so like we return to the vinyl records, not because we can't get digital sound quality that's as good or better as records, but because we want all the inconveniences of the record. We want to pass on that nostalgia just in a completely different line, but in the same territory. An inconvenience that I endorse is taking the stairs more often instead of the elevator. You know, it's up to you, but if you're capable of it, I found when I was in the mind space of being like, oh, I'm just gonna take the stairs all the time. It improved my fitness without me really having to make any decisions other than always defaulting to taking the stairs. Great example of an inconvenience that I endorse. But that doesn't mean I would say, like, get rid of the elevators. Yeah, you want it to be a voluntary inconvenience. Because if you make it an involuntary inconvenience, then for most people it's an inconvenience, and for some people it's they can't go upstairs in that building anymore <laughs> if all there is is stairs. Not until the hover chairs that we blocked from them inventing to <laughs> protect the character of our society <laughs> come out in like the black market. One of the big through lines here when we're talking about the process of automating society and compressing people's intellectual labor into blueprints to create devices that increase productivity for future labor. Like, for example, with the dishwasher, that machine is built up of the labor of the people who made that machine and the people who designed that machine. It's made up of materials, but it's embodied with the labor. That creates a convenience in the form of whoever would otherwise have to do those dishes has an increased amount of time in the day to do other things or ideally be a free human being in the world, whatever that means. What are we when we're apart from the things that we have to do? That's the joy of convenience, like the way that it gives people time to be full human beings within the world by reducing the amount of things that they are forced to do by reality. That's an interesting way to put it because the conservative critique of convenience, those things that you have to do, you're saying once we get past all those, you have this open world of possibility before you. But the conservative critique that's saying those struggles, like it is through doing those actions that you discover your true self and without all those actions in a world of pure convenience there's 
nothing. There's just emptiness. If you no longer have to do anything, you have to then decide, like there's a kind of existential jump there that's necessary to be like, well, what do I want to do? Like, what, what am I trying to pursue rather than just knowing what you need to pursue because it's survival in the society that you're in? I think what I would say to that conservative is, I love the phrase that you said, a world of pure convenience. And then I would write pure convenience on a flag and fly it above me and run for president and win. But I don't think the critique's without merit in the sense that there is a difference between, say, like a world where people drive cars versus a world with self-driving cars. To find out what being in a car is like when no one's in charge of driving it, it's a totally different sphere. You can talk, play card games. Get drunk in the car and hotbox the car. In a world of pure convenience, drinking and driving is totally okay. <laughs> yeah, it's pr preferred for a lot of people. That's the only way to drive. If you remove all need for us to interface directly with heavy machinery of various kinds. Yeah, yeah. I think the conservative would say not even just the heavy machinery thing, but if you have no reason not to lounge about and drink all day, that's what people will do. Like people are out of their own control, but having like societal expectations that you can't drink before work, for example, probably decreases the amount of alcoholics drinking. It could be a reason for people and definitely losing that reason could make them want to drink more. But then there's other solutions to that potential problem. Like if the problem is people start drinking more when they aren't forced to do anything because everything is so convenient and they experience existential nihilism. The only meaning in their life was the struggle for survival. And now that that's gone, there is truly nothing left of worth. The whole framing of this critique, in my opinion, ends with a self-defeating point, because what they're saying is that in the absence of difficulty, we may face the most difficult problem of all, which is the problem of self-actualization in a sphere that has near infinite possibilities. Who do I want to be, not who do I have to be in order to survive in this society? Sometimes the answer to that latter question, who do I have to be in order to survive in this society, is much easier to answer than the first question, who do I want to be? If the conservatives are right and that problem is that incredibly difficult for some people, isn't that the struggle that we all need that they're complaining about being missing from the convenience society? If dealing with difficult problems is what creates meaning in our lives, and that's the most difficult problem that can exist, then it also seems like it would be the most meaningful life to have to attempt to solve that problem, to engage in that struggle. Yeah, the existential despair brought on by full automation will build character in all of us. Exactly. I think when it comes to that particular conservative argument about building character through hard times and like bad things happening to you, it's wisdom in a sense. I'm not shitting on it and saying that it's not wise and it has no applications. A lot of time wise sounding things are wise things applied to the wrong context. What's fake about that wise sounding thing about toughness, building character and so on is not that toughness and like having hard time never builds any character of any kind that when people look back on the things they faced in their life that were challenging, they see it as part of their process of growing and as part of their identity and they, right. they believe yeah, that it's an important part of their life. That sort of logic about trials building character is best applied as a type of advice for like helping people to cope with their actual existence. 
it's not a framework for building an ideal society. Thinking about it in that way can help you integrate it into like, what lessons did I learn from that and see it as a hard thing in your past that helped build the person you are today. And that's true. And that happens. But then applying it to the front end saying, we shouldn't make things easier. We should have people go through these struggles and like some of the most character building struggles you can imagine would be the most traumatic things that happen to you and they might build character in some people who are able to get over it and they might literally kill some people or crush them emotionally cause like lifelong issues with mental illness and they never recover from it like that's also something that happens with like great difficulty and struggle sometimes it's really hard to like fix yourself or to become okay again after that so so yeah applying it to the front end and saying we need to keep these extreme difficulties in people's lives and i mean i don't think anyone's traumatized for google not to exist like i'm not trying to equate every convenience with like getting around a trauma but some of the things that i think we most need to make convenient right now like access to food shelter education those kinds of things that are currently very inconvenient in society do cause a lot of major trauma for people. And those are often the kinds of things that it gets argued against making more convenient because people need to struggle. Oh, we can't just build homes for homeless people if they don't have to work to get into their home. They won't build the character they need to keep the home. So that's when it gets really cruel. I just don't think we're close to running out of problems for people so much that it becomes a huge problem. Like we're not, we're not at the point where we need to actually consciously design society to keep problems in people's lives. There isn't such an absence of problems that everyone's character is degrading so strongly that we need to like create a challenge for people to to overcome that isn't already out there. Although there'd be a cool thing for like a villain to do say that everyone's moral character is degrading so much yeah it is a real villain perspective for sure. <laughs> so i'm going to introduce this mighty challenge you know i'm going to be like ozymandias with the enormous squid and watchmen except it's going to be some thing for everyone to overcome together so their character doesn't degrade from all the modern conveniences of the fully automated society we now go to fully automated luxury, Usufructian Rongtopia, where automated machinery takes care of all the essential aspects of human life, and people are able to follow their wildest dreams. It's a wonderful spot, but there was one grumpy guy who didn't like this spot. He thought this spot was bad quite a lot. This grumpy little guy decided to cook something up. I'm telling you, they're the most destructive invention ever created. It seems good. It seems convenient, doesn't it? Our ancestors were strong. And you know why they were strong? They, they didn't, uh, they these, didn't have just... these modern conveniences. They didn't just go into a room, defecate, and then water whisks it away, no, never to deal with it again. Absolutely right, sir. The invention of indoor plumbing has degraded the moral character of our society. And then, like you said, you alone can stop it. At this time tomorrow, every toilet, every shower drain, sewage will back up into the people's homes, into the businesses, into the swimming pools, into the streets from the sewer drains. Billions of gallons of excrement, urine, vomit, dirty bath water. It'll be the greatest struggle Rungtopia has ever faced. Such a good idea. I think it's going to uh, work. Yes, such a yeah, good Yeah, get work. everybody together. We'll grab some microwave hot pockets, something nice and easy. It'll save so much time, sir. We could also we could get takeout, but actually... We already have hot pockets. Well, we, I'm just, we could use them later, but if we, it's your um, plot, so... 
And so, with a little bit of help from the convenience of Hot Pockets, our villain and his henchmen were able to pull off their dastardly anti-convenience scheme. Thanks again for playing cards with me in the bathroom like we always do. Same old, same old, just like we always do. The drain's making a Oh yeah, did, uh, noise. Oh, did you just let one rip? What is that smell? Oh, Yikes. what is that? It's not the clean bathroom smell I'm used to. The toilet's over. Oh my god. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh okay, that's gushing now. That's yeah, a lot. We gotta, oh shit. Uh, oh my we god. We should get out of this. We'll just have to call someone like a professional plumber or something. Yeah, I'm just gonna rinse my mouth out in the sink. Water. Oh my god. <laughs> it's right in my mouth. It's so gross, man. Just go try to wash your mouth out. I've got another one down the hall. Okay. It seems good in here. I'm just turning on the water. Oh, oh my god. Oh, let it run before you put your mouth on it. Okay, I'll just use this bottle of water to rinse my mouth out. So this is becoming a serious problem. There's like a lot of poo, wet poo everywhere. That is a lot of wet poo. I just called my poo lady. She said she's booked up. She said it's happening all over. Yeah, it's too bad there weren't more poo cleaning skills in our society. Oh, I've never even tried it. Yeah. I've been wiped since a child. Yeah, same. Me too. High five. Never wiped our own butts crew. Maybe we should all work together to clean it up. We've got no choice but to work together and put our head down and just sort of... All do our part. We're all going to do our own part. If we all pitch in, it won't be so bad. And so, all of the people around the world in Rongtopia all did their part to clean up all of the overflowed sewage. They sort of got their poo cleaning 101 down and learned to deal with that. And as a result, they could deal with anything. But that grumpy guy was not satisfied. Oh, everybody working together, cleaning it up, learning from the experience. It's, it's awful, sir. It's, I wanted so these just... weaklings to suffer. You know what? This is my fault. It was my plan. It's your fault, sir. The... You're the one who messed it up. You're I must have you. a character deficiency. You finish up all the cleaning. I am going to build my character in the machine. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. We'll be cleaning faithfully, sir. All right. I'll step into my private office and I'll close the door. Step inside of the machine and power it on. Welcome to the Dynaxian Grid. Activate the poo cleaning simulation. I need to struggle. I need difficulty to bring meaning to my life. Turn it up to maximum. Generating Maximum amount. I'm scrubbing the shit. Just cleaning it up. Oh, this is disgusting. It smells real. Yes, yes, I can feel my character, but I can see the experience points picking up. Warning, your village is being attacked by shitters. <laughs> oh no, get out of here. Uh, it's adding more shit. Oh, I just cleaned there. And so, in a world full of real shit, overflowing out of millions of toilets, our villain went into a computer simulation to fake cleaning up fake shit. The end. So don't be a bad guy. The end. Something that I think really underscores how great convenience is, is drawing it in contrast to its opposite, you know, inconvenience. People make an argument that, oh, convenience, you know, it seems great. It has these unintended consequences. It's complicated. It's not just good because the assumption is the base assumption is that convenience is good. Yeah. Yeah. Convenience contains that it's good in the definition. Making something easier, run smoother. Being in favor of convenience is like being in favor of happiness, which we also are.
I think connecting with the times in your life when you felt the most inconvenienced will give you an experiential sense of the importance of convenience. Yeah, like when you're late for something, but it's not your fault, or like not being able to find something you need. Like these are really basic inconveniences. Not having a bathroom when you need it. Having your clothes somehow ruined, like a bird shits on you. What an inconvenience. Peeing your pants by accident be a big inconvenience. But there's also times in your life when like, modern conveniences fail and like you're just faced with brute inconvenience like say you need something and you're like oh, i'll just run to the store and go get that but the store is closed because you didn't realize it closes at 6 p.m instead of 7 or something and then like you need that thing now but you can't get it until tomorrow yeah when you can't get what you need and you're used to being able to get it i lost my passport last year when i was in america and i realized it when i was in the airport about to get on the flight back home that I didn't have my passport and therefore the flight's awash and it was Sunday so the embassy was closed and I'm in a city with nowhere to stay to like just yeah that's a lot bigger than like forgetting your backpack at home when you go to the library which don't get me wrong that sucks that's inconvenient (laughs) might ruin your whole library trip depends how far the library is from your house and how much time you have that day I'm trying to think of like what the worst inconvenience I can remember because like inconveniences also by definition like can't be too rough. It's something that holds you up and slows you down and takes away the flow of what you're doing in a way that's jarring, you know, in a way that's uncomfortable. Yeah, but at the same time, it can't be like the most traumatizing thing that's ever happened to you. You probably wouldn't call that an inconvenience. Yeah, like my biggest inconvenience was that time I was held hostage for (laughs) ransom. (laughs) I mean, it ruined that whole day, obviously. Honestly, it was with me for more than just that day. I, that stuck with me for weeks. A major inconvenient. <laughs> Recently, I wanted to buy a book, but Amazon didn't have it and it was out of print. And I called my local bookshops and they didn't have it. And then I found it on eBay. And it was such a burden <laughs> to have to go through all those steps. I was like, by the end of it, I'm like, oh my God, is this book ever going to be delivered directly to me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that reminds me. The most inconvenient time I had getting a book was for our Star Wars episode, our Jar Jar Binks episode. Classic. And of course, for the Jar Jar Binks episode, I wanted to read a scholarly book about a decolonial critique of Star Wars. Who doesn't want to read that? But I didn't want to pay for it because the book was like $50. So I found out that they had it at the UBC University Library nearby, but it costs $40 to get a library card there for a third of a year. So I didn't want to pay that in because that's basically the price of the book. So I had to get into my gasoline-powered automobile, 20-minute drive. It took a while. Get there. I go into the library, find the book, and then sit in the library for like three hours taking a picture of every single page of the book with my smartphone with an app that then compiled all those pictures into a PDF that I I was able to take home and read on my laptop at home at my leisure. All of this for just a man to get access to his decolonial critique of Star Wars. It was pretty inconvenient. But it's really funny because it involves all these modern conveniences of like the car and the smartphone and the app compiling into PDF. And Back in the day, you'd have to, if you're lucky, get a horse, but probably walk for an hour or more crossing water and forests 
to get to the <laughs> to, to the get, university library to get to the university library to read your decolonial critique of yeah, Star they don't, Wars. They wouldn't even have photocopiers there back in horseback times, so you'd have to stay there reading it at night by candlelight. Yeah, or transcribe it by hand. Yeah, uh, word for obviously. word to be able to study at home. That's a good example of how the argument is wrong about new conveniences ending problems for humanity. Like yeah, like stitching together all those conveniences allowed me to barely read this book. I just wouldn't have been able to read it before. But with all of these modern conveniences, with the smartphone, with the automobile, with the modern university system, app developers, my laptop, all of that combined, I was able to scrounge up, scratch out a copy of this book without paying for it. Like, just barely made it, despite having all those conveniences. When it should be, obviously, ethically, that a digital copy of all books should be a great archiving project, which every human being has inherent access to because it's the shared collective memory and spirit of humankind. It's humanitas. The library is where we study to find out who we are as a species and do great things. So obviously, the fact that no such digital copy was available to you freely if you wanted to study the decolonial critiques of Star Wars is an injustice, and it would be much more convenient if that was allowed. Like, think about all the time that our unjust society wasted you there. Yeah, and I mean, if that had been available, the convenient version, sure, I'd be out a great story. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd all be lesser for it. We'd all be... <laughs> So like, I don't, yeah, it's a sacrifice I'd be willing to make. You know, there's ups and downs with these conveniences, you know, right, there's trade-offs. Yeah. What you got out of this major inconvenience was a great story that you can tell for the rest of your life. So that's like the good side of the bad, right? And right, there's the right, bad right. side of the good, which is it's not having such a great story. It's like, oh, I downloaded it from the free universal library. And they're like, uh, we all have access to that. That's like running water. It's like going to your friends and being like, hey, guys, I turned on my tap and I got cold or hot running water based on my choice it was incredible and they're like okay asshole it's the dumbest shit we've ever heard we all were used to that that's normal that's just a natural feature of the universe hot and cold running water at your whim clean ready to drink but yeah in general like the experience of inconveniences is an uncomfortable one by definition but not so uncomfortable that it's like really horrible it almost makes me think like with inconvenience filling this middle realm it makes me feel like convenience means something's only slightly better it almost implies that well yeah i mean you wouldn't say it's convenient that you've never been held hostage the lack of that difficulty isn't just a mere convenience i don't think we have a word for that it's just like yeah that's what i really don't like the title an inconvenient truth it's more than inconvenient. It's like inconvenient is an understatement when you're talking about the scale of like a global climate crisis. An extremely traumatizing truth by Al Gore. The inconvenient thing, it makes sense in that it's like it's inconvenient for the wealthy oil barons of the world to give up the profits that they would make if we continued burning fossil fuels as much as we can that's inconvenient for them maybe that's who al gore was talking to it's aimed at like the campaign financiers and the politicians who are like on the inside of like the logic of american politics and industry like yeah and well like also the people who get the least brunt of the climate catastrophe the people for whom it will be most like an inconvenience 
yeah, maybe like food shortages from droughts and cities being swallowed by the sea is inconvenient to you. Oh, what an inconvenience. We had one of our three mansions in that city. This reminds me of the time I had to resort to eBay. Now what am I supposed to do when I need to be in a separate mansion from my spouse who just annoys me? I don't want to go to the winter mansion in the summer. So yeah, it's a really crucial and important truth, potentially tragic truth. It's a five alarm truth. Al Gore's five alarm truth, the movie. <laughs> so it goes five alarm, inconvenient, convenient, and then what's the inverted version of five alarm? Because that's what we should be aiming for. And now it's time for the history of modern conveniences. Late army, how did our convenient world come to be? Yeah, so like throughout the 20th century, this idea of modern conveniences was associated like mostly with home appliances, but also convenience foods. One of the earliest modern conveniences was developed in the early 1800s, and that's indoor plumbing. It kind of spreads throughout the 1800s to the point where about the 1840s is when non-mansions start getting running water in some places. But even as recently as the 1960s, only 25% of American households had a full water fixture set up, meaning hot and cold water, flushable toilets, and bathing appliances. Another modern convenience invented around that same time is canned food. It particularly takes off in the 1850s after they invent a machine that is able to make the tin cans, because before that, making the tin cans for canning the food was an extremely onerous process. So in order to have that convenience of canned food, you had to go through the extreme inconvenience of making tin cans. Oh yeah, just thinking about hand. making a tin can from scratch. Yeah, it's, tin it's a real specialty item from hand. Yeah, like I'm, I'm just gonna hammer this tin into a can shape, and then I'm gonna fill it up with the beans. Yeah, it was mostly used by the military in those early years. That's convenient. Can of beans, you can crack that bad boy open, get some bean time, bean energy, all prepared. Not dried beans. You have to sit around preparing and all that stuff ready to pop and go. I mean, it's better to heat it up, but you can eat it cold. Yeah, right there, easy, available. I take having a toilet for granted, and I think indoor plumbing and toilets, it's a good thing. But tragically, in 2015, a World Health Organization report said that about a third of the world's population doesn't have indoor plumbing. It doesn't have access to toilets. So this is an unfinished convenience revolution. Yeah, I appreciate the global perspective. Yeah, 30% uh, today still don't. There's actually millions of people in the U.S. today who still don't have access to working indoor plumbing. So still an unfinished revolution of convenience. Yeah, and such an important one, too, that like revolutionized not just how easy it is to get water or how easy it is to move your poop away from you. I love that about toilets. Uh, me too. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm done with you. Filth be gone. It's wonderful. And it's also really good for your health and has done a lot to stop the spread of illnesses and pandemics that people can wash their hands, wash their poop away, clean things with clean water, readily available, clean. Like that's such a revel. Like it's so big. That's just the convenience there is so important. And I hate to be a class warrior about this, you know, 2.4 billion with no access, no reliable access to this, while the select few at the top are hoarding toilets, 10, 15, 20 toilets per person. Just kidding. That's not the form that income inequality takes. But it's an injustice when we have the capacity to make sure that everyone around the world, all three thirds of the human population, not two thirds, not one third, but three-thirds 
have access to indoor plumbing. So towards the end of the 1800s, things start really heating up. We get combustion engines becoming much more common. And once we hit 1900, things go wild. Like that's when Ford starts mass producing automobiles for everyone to get. Uh, 1901, the very first power suction vacuum cleaner is invented. And by 1903, there's a consumer model created. Although they don't become popular until the 1950s because widespread electricity isn't available to most people until the 30s, 40s, 50s. But power vacuums invented in 1900. Uh, 1903, air conditioners invented. Also not adopted widely until the 50s, 60s. And still missing for many who need it today around the world. Yep. Late 1800s, early 1900s, you have the early telephones being developed. And like, imagine the first person to tell you, you can talk to someone, you can hear their voice right now, but they're miles away from you. That's an amazing convenience. That you can talk in real time rather than wait days or weeks or months for the letter to travel back and forth. Or like, yeah, send your telegraph would be the closest thing you could do before that. Like send messages via telegraph. In the 1920s, you get the first electric refrigerators being invented and the first televisions being invented. In the 1930s, the first electric washing machine was invented. And it's interesting to look at the histories of all these things because they always have a developmental history of, like the first electric washing machine is not invented till 1937, but in the 1850s, they did invent industrial-sized, steam-driven commercial washing machines. And actually, like the first commercial washing machines were billed as washer extractors because these steam washing machines didn't wring the clothes out. There was a different machine called an extractor to get the water out after it was washed. So it was thought of as a combination that the machine did both of those things, washed it and wrung it out. I'm sick and tired of waiting for that second round of extraction. Like, yeah, using the separate mechanical machine that you turn with a crank to squeeze the water out. 1950s, you get dishwashers. 1960s, color TV and like broadcast television becoming popular. 1967, the countertop microwave is invented. Which finally actualized the latent potentiality of tin beans. And that's like the boom of like what was considered like modern conveniences. All these things in the first half, mostly first half of the 20th century that become widely available in the second half of the 20th century and completely transform all of our lives. Like each and every one of those, you can just be like, oh yeah, before there were washing machines. Oh yeah, before there were vacuums. Oh yeah, before there was refrigerators. But it's just like all of these things happening at once. It's just like it's an avalanche of modern convenience. I'm almost tempted to think of all these things together as like part of this same step of modernization of like getting up to like a new level of modernity in terms of the amount of automation in the household. I guess it's like still developing in some ways. The level of automation in that wave of convenience increasing mm -hmm. is unparalleled with the development since. I mean, stuff like smartphones or whatever, like not that those aren't convenient and that they don't have unique features, but just like the scale and variety of automation that you described over that period. Yeah, just the ability of like personal sized, electrically powered, mechanical, like little machines to do. Yeah, that it's like once you broke the seal on that, we got this little tumble of all these things that came out. And I feel like to really 
get to the next level beyond those. It's an extra level automation convenience above that, like making it so that the vacuum vacuums for you. Like the Roomba, I guess, is maybe one of the first like glimmers of that. But the dishwasher that collects the dishes and then puts them away for you, you know, the like... It's another level at that point. Yeah, another sort of like automation trajectory that we're on is like around artificial intelligence and like how that's going to connect to driverless cars and like you're saying, like technology that already exists becoming automated and like removing the us controlling element from it. That's going to be the next barrier breaking for sure. Like when you get sufficient artificial intelligence to be able to like do some of this stuff for us. And also when we're thinking about like the next phase, like the next step towards a full automation society, a a pure convenience paradigm, you're also talking about doing more integration, I think, into the household environment. Like it's going to involve renovations to existing houses in order to like fully accommodate the potential of this technology. Yeah. Instead of like designing a robot that will wash your walls for you, you design walls that have a thing at the top that just opens up and like a sheet comes down and like just wipes the whole wall like you know like that kind of inbuilt design that makes tasks unnecessary i mean that's certainly a trajectory we should look to go down as we're trying to create and imagine the future that we want to create the level of convenience we deserve yeah. and more specifically our children our children deserve it's not selfish it's about taking care of our children true yeah good point And so that was the history of modern conveniences. So the first convenience store in real life was actually invented when someone who owned an ice store started selling bread and milk and other things at their ice store. So back before refrigerators, people had ice boxes and you'd go and buy a big piece of ice to put in your ice box instead of having a working refrigerator so the absence of refrigerators basically created the ice industry where people were like ice men who would help keep your food cool at home so this is a little sketch about that well it's another cool day at the ice store wouldn't you say brother i would say that brother i'm proud every day to cut off a big piece of ice and send it with the family home to cool their food absolutely without us everybody's food would spoil and that's why they're going to need us forever yeah imagine having to run to the fishmonger every day to get a new fresh fish. Absurd. Well, that's why we're here, Icemen, to make having groceries in your house more convenient. Could you imagine a society without ice boxes? It's possible. It's crazy. <laughs> like, it's primitive. You know, before we had ice boxes. Food spoiling left and yeah, right. Yeah, you could dig a hole in the ground and it's usually cooler in the earth, but it's not an ice box. Say, brother, I was thinking, just an idea for innovation. What if in addition to ice, we started selling stuff like, I don't know, bread, milk, potato chips, maybe little gummy candies, Mm. lottery tickets. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. So we, two Icemen, should also become bakers, stationary milkmen, masters of the art of confectionery, and purveyors of the vice of gambling all in one establishment? It's absurd. Stationary milkmen. Oh, you know, if something disrupts the ice industry or we're just covering our bases, it'd be convenient for people. Maybe they're swinging by. Hey, I'm grabbing my ice. Oh, you've got bread also? We could even charge a little extra for the bread because they didn't make the trip all the way down to the bakery. So what you're saying is that you expect people to buy more expensive bread from the ice store than they would buy from the bakery. Come on, man. It's the Roaring Twenties. Let's give it a shot. It's my idea. I don't know. I think we stick with ice. Stationary milkmen gambling at the ice store. Just, it's absurd. I'm putting my foot down on the slab of ice and I'm saying no to all of it. Oh, whoa. 
Uh, I fell on the floor. It's slippery. slippery. Yeah. You've worked in ice long enough to you be never careful put your foot down on ice. I was talking to this guy at the bar, and he said there's going to be this huge wave of mechanical things taking over lives, steam-powered this and that. And, and he said it's going to get rid of a lot of industries. You know, you think there's going to be a steam-powered tram that just delivers ice to everybody's that's house? That's exactly what I'm thinking. Have you been to the World Fair? I think there's going to be steam-powered sky rails to deliver ice to every ice box. Oh, and I'm sure they'll just all come from one big central ice dispensary and put all the little ice men like us out of business. You know I worry about these kind of things, brother, that complex delivery system of ice across the world putting all local ice men out of business. It'll never happen. Hearing you say it has made me feel even more confident in the future of what we do. Sorry, brother. I'm going to order some bread and try it out. You know what? I'm getting a roll of tape and I'm taping the store in half. And on your half of the store, you can sell bread and milk and whatever else you want. And my half of the store is going to remain pure ice. Oh, brother, can we? Uh, we should have one big store. We shouldn't have two small stores. I'm already uh, taping. Okay, well, I'm going to be ordering some milk and some bread and some lottery tickets, and we'll see whose side of the store gets the business. And that ice store later came to be known as the First 7-Eleven, which now operates over 68,000 branches around the world. Meanwhile, the ice slab delivery industry does not exist. So there you have it. If your brother has a crazy idea, go for it. So I think the other major angle that you can come at a critique of convenience from still goes the unintended consequences route, but it is less about the unintended consequences being your deformed character or a loss of skills, but pointing to externalities. So if you think about one of the major modern conveniences of history, the automobile, revolutionized the way that people could move around the world, especially for like these huge North American countries. Like the idea that you could drive across America in a few days by yourself, you can go wherever you want. It just like, it's an amazing new ability for people to be able to have this automobile, but they excrete huge amounts of CO2 into the atmosphere and are playing a large part in causing like the biggest ecological catastrophe we've ever faced as a species. This is almost like a primitivist angle, I guess, on the critique of convenience being that convenience and technologies, which are conveniences, always hurt more than they help. And convenience is sort of necessarily damaging in a way and that it comes at great cost, either a cost to the environment or a cost to other people because the wealth that convenience requires requires subjugation of other people's labor. There's a real like overlap between the idea of convenience and luxury and arguing in favor of conveniences can seem, I don't know, like short-sighted or cruel or not realistic, focusing on something that's unimportant compared to bigger problems in the world and in fact actually contributing to all those bigger problems in the world. That's like the major critique of like consumer convenience. The shadow of the convenience store is elsewhere in the world you have violations of labor conditions of people who are underpaid or not paid at all. Countries where the global capitalist system is mostly extracting value rather than receiving value. Burning through people at low costs in order to like keep costs down in your convenience establishment 
establishment of luxury and you're upset they're all out of your favorite product to consume and you throw a tantrum to the manager when the people who make that have never had vacations. The implication there is that these things are forever inseparable, that there's a type of physics to this, that the convenience of some must be based on the subjugation of others. And if you look at history, it's pretty easy to understand why people come to that conclusion, because most of the time that there's been convenience throughout history, it's been tied to wealth. And most of the time there's been wealth throughout history, it's been tied to subjugating other people. Beyond wealth, also to power relations in other contexts, like between a man and a woman, like a husband and wife within a patriarchal society, the convenience of the man to not participate in the housework comes at the cost of the inconvenience seems insufficient. The five alarm bad thing. So yeah, the idea that convenience can also carry cruelty. Yeah, that critique scales from like global neo-imperialism to individual interactions under systems of oppression like patriarchy or workplace hierarchy or racism, etc. And, you know, honestly, I think that's a pretty good critique. Any convenience that does rely on harm to others is not convenience that we should be pursuing. Like, it's good that men are now more often inconvenienced by the social expectation that they should help out with the housework. It would be even better if all housework was eliminated and there was no inconvenience like that. But as long as the inconvenience does exist, it should be more fairly distributed. I think a principle to help in this situation, to help us follow in this situation, would be an inconvenience to one is an inconvenience to all. In the sense that if society is set up in such a way that it systematically conveniences some at the expense of others, that's uh, maybe it's begging the point to call it a false kind of convenience, but it's definitely a kind of convenience like we don't want to go after. I was thinking of it in terms of like a deep convenience versus a shallow convenience. A shallow convenience is like the show of convenience that behind it carries this like inconvenience in a holistic sense. Convenience obviously is a social construct. It has to do with like opportunity. Something being convenient is having the opportunity to save time because your life is valuable and you want to get more things done. It's a social, it's a subjective. Convenience isn't something we can go out and measure in nature and be like, oh, this field is convenient for horses. It's- Toss your smartphone to a hunter-gatherer and they're not going to find it very convenient. There's not even any 4G back then. Yeah, and in that sense, because we understand convenience as a social relationship, we can see that the convenience of one is also connected to the convenience of others, potentially. So if my convenience comes at the cost of your inconvenience, we have to look at the fundamental mechanics of that. To jump back to what you're saying about housework, I think universal basic housework is a completely coherent idea. It's like a feasible idea, probably a pretty low cost idea. It sounds weird. It's the opposite of Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson wants people to clean their room and I'll meet him halfway and be like, well, someone's got to clean that room. Yeah, no, it's a good and it like it's weird to propose because people think of having a cleaning staff like fairly rightly in the society. People think of that as a luxury. Luxuries and conveniences are very similar things. But the idea of saying like everyone should have that, it's weird. But like if you think about as messed up as the patriarchal women stay home and do all the housework thing is, it is also extremely messed up to have a different society where both spouses must work full time in order to afford a life. And then like nobody can stay home and clean. You both have to like hand it off in the off hours. 
our cleaning situation right now is really bad. We are more isolated in our home situations than we've ever been. So that means more things to clean. And like, if you live by yourself, working full-time job, then cleaning after, like it's, it's a lot of work. Like having someone help you with cleaning, if you're already doing something 40 hours a week, isn't like a major luxury. It would be a really nice convenience in our current society. And I think you're right. It would be fairly easy to provide for people. Like wouldn't be actually that expensive. Give them like 30, 35 bucks an hour even. Yeah. Give them a middle-class wage. Give them two people for three hours a week, maybe once a week, hop in for three hours. Oh yeah. You wouldn't even need that if it was weekly. Well, yeah, whatever. So it's it's not that much money to provide this service in the current society. Anyway, I just, yeah. I think universal basic housework, people here, it, they're going to recoil from it. So I was trying to smooth it a bit. Part of this reaction against universal basic housework where it, I can anticipate it will probably exist. People who don't sit in first class assume it's natural for first class to exist and for us to get something worse. That's a fancy rich thing to have more time, to earn enough money that it's inconsequential to pay for someone to do the cleaning. But the convenience that some people have, more people should have, everyone should have. It actually just makes the society a nicer place. It creates jobs for people. People have a better quality of life as a result of it, including both the people who work for the program and for the people who are beneficiaries of it. That type of convenience, I think, is a political convenience that we should ask for, demand even. Not timidly ask, but truly, boldly demand. I'm not saying that's the first thing we need to do in society right now is introduce universal... I'm not saying that's the most pressing issue in society at the moment. The fascists can win on every other issue. We'll take house cleaning. Papa and boy. Hey, boy, do you want to ride home? Papa, yeah. Can we drive to my favorite restaurant, Wrong Burger? Oh, Wrong Burger? It's so convenient, fast food, and delicious, too, even if it's not always the best food. Fast you. food's a special treat. You know that. What possible justification could my son have to say that today's the day where I should drive my car down to Wrong Burger and get fast food for him as a treat? Well, Papa, remember I told you I had that ethics test today? Oh, ethics, the most important class. Well, did you get the results? What were you bringing this up for? There's a test today? There was a test today. How did my boy do? Take a look at this paper. <laughs> a plus? A plus. My Dad. son got an A plus in ethics. Oh, that's <laughs> oh my right. God. That's right. One of the most ethical kids in the class. <laughs> my son. An ethicist. So, wrong burger. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? You've made me marry with this extremely ethical score. Say, Dad, I was just wondering, they didn't always have restaurants since the beginning of time, did they? Oh, no, no, certainly not, son. I mean, the modern fast food restaurants fairly recent invention. It's only about 100 years old. In the early 1920s, the first White Castle opened. You know, American fast food restaurants really sort of a unique form on the restaurant concept, this assembly line idea of always getting an identical meal. It was innovated by the founder of White Castle as a way to stand up to the perception that street food was uh, dirty or very orderly and clean was the idea. It's a White Castle. It's perfectly spotless, son, and you can get a perfect piece by piece, identical order. Every time you come back, it's going to be another clean burger, just like you remember. That was sort of the spirit of White Castle, which kicked off the sort of modern fast food idea. Uh, that makes sense. That's why Donald Trump likes fast food so much, because he thinks it's clean, and he's a germaphobe. President Trump is a fundamentally American man, son. He lives, breathes, and dies America, both its good and evil side. So he likes convenience and racism. You know what me and your mother say, right? Q. 
keep the convenience, lose the racism. That was one of the answers I used on my ethics test. Oh, that's my boy. I mean, that's our boy. Your mother's not here, but that was so ethical your mother could have said so it. So before the 1920s, they only had slow restaurants? Before that, I mean, there was restaurants, and restaurants of maybe two broad traditions. There's the food cart tradition, and then there's the sort of the sit-down fine dining restaurant tradition. And uh, the fine dining restaurant tradition, it started for the first time in the lead-up to the French Revolution in the mid-1700s, where in France there were guilds that had basically like intellectual property rights over cooking certain types of food. But there were some defiant chefs who opened up meat-serving restaurants in the 1760s and won court challenges, eventually popping up all over Paris. And then when the French Revolution happens, this revolutionary spirit, this standing up to those guilds who unfairly restricted the access to prepared food, when the aristocracy is being overthrown, a lot of private chefs are now going to be unemployed. So they create basically what are the first restaurants. Oh, wow. So stripping the French aristocracy of their wealth led to the invention of restaurants. It generated the existence of the restaurant form. It made restaurants much more widely available, yes. And the experience of others cooking for you, which was previously held tightly by some of the richest in French society distributed to the people. Now, obviously, I mean, it wasn't fully held by them and it wasn't fully distributed to all the people, but that's some complex French revolutionary history we don't need to get into now. So what about the food cart tradition? There's been food carts for like a really, really, really long time, like variations on selling food from a cart all over the world, you know, ancient China, ancient Greece and stuff. In North America, a sort of pillar of that tradition of street carts or like food trucks is the chuck wagons, which in the 1800s, they were like a mobile kitchen that would move along with wagon trains and feed everyone traversing across the frontier. So it's sort of like a mobile restaurant moving with a group of people. Something I'd like to learn more about is uh, the ancient traditions around this because, you know, some of this stuff goes way, way back. Like, we don't really actually know the first restaurant. Like, the people who like the French Revolution want to be like, oh, restaurants invented in the French Revolution. Well, like, in the ancient Greek world, there was a, what's called a thermopolium. It's been compared to a fast food kitchen or a restaurant. And I mean, the tradition of people cooking for others for money that's going to go back as far as money. Right, yeah, that makes sense. The convenience of one person cooking for multiple is something that goes back to the origin of human species. I mean, this is something we figured out from the get-go. As long as we've been cooking, it's never been, oh, each person cooks their own meal, you know? A restaurant boy is like sort of a modern group feeding location, which it's individualized in a way like never before. You know, it's all distributed based on wages, but it's part of a tradition that goes from even earlier than the selling of food for money, you know, the, the communal kitchen arrangement. It goes deep to we are as human beings, boy. Yeah, I guess uh, you gotta eat, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do, son. Oh, here it is, around the corner. Wrong burger. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. So, I know you're not a teen yet, but if you want to get a teen wrong burger, don't tell your mother. A whole teen for me? You know, that ethics test, son, you knocked it out of the park, and... Yeah. Let's head on inside. Get those sweet burgers. I don't mean sweet to taste. I mean... It's a savory burger. The experience is sweet. Later that night, Papa is going through his old papers up in the attic. Wow, my son's score of 100% on the ethics test. It's so impressive that A+. Plus, I, mean, I just wonder what I got when I was his age. I just I probably got 100 too. I just, just ruffle through this. And yeah, I mean, like father, like son. I mean, both ethical guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is. C plus. I, 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 that's how my son has more ethics than Honey, me. Honey, what are you doing up there? I just Honey. one minute. 
dear. Come downstairs. We're all celebrating boy's ethics score and how much that says good about him. Yeah, don't light the sparklers without me. I'll be right there. But oh, this fucking I've got to have another one. I must have got a hundred at some. Maybe this is part of me developing. I'm getting better over time. And this is just the first of a developmental trajectory where I get more ethical over time, become the man I am today. I, uh, oh. C minus. Okay, no, I'm just gonna come. I'm coming. Boys I'm just gonna waiting. be calm. Here I come. Okay, I'm just gonna have to get my head straight. I just step, 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 walking down the stairs. I just need to figure this out. And so Papa went down and celebrated with all of them. Smiles from ear to ear. He smiled with his eyes. He gave them the whole package. It was really, he seemed quite happy. But he was nursing a dark secret, a dark resentment towards his ethical son. And the next day, he did something that no parent should do. All right, this looks like my boy's teacher's office. Is, hello, is anyone there? Uh, yeah, come on in. Hi, yeah, Mr. Teacher, thanks for meeting with me so quickly. Sure, I'm just... yeah, you're boy's father, right? Yes, yes, I am. Always nice to meet the papa. You must be so proud of his ethics results, and I must say I'm proud of both of you. Yes, his mother and I couldn't be more happy. We had a whole celebration yesterday, actually. I was smiling. Oh, who wouldn't be? An ethical boy like that? He was smiling, too. We were all smiling as a family. I guess it's part of getting a test result like that, all smiling together. But I'm worried. I just want to be clear. I just, I want to make sure that I didn't smile for nothing, if you know what I mean. Okay. I'm just going to be blunt with you. Do you think there's any chance that boy cheated on this test that he copied off of a neighboring student was there other a high performing and ethics person nearby or any sort of plot amongst the students to share answers was this an unusual were lots of kids getting this mark or? no he was actually the only one to get a hundred percent on the test and whenever i do my tests i have the kids move their desks extra far apart so there's no peaking i, I want to make sure that if a child does well on an ethics test that means there truly are ethical that's you know great. that it really means something that's, that's great because while you can ensure that a high mark means that the person is highly ethical you can't ensure that a low mark means they're unethical because they might have done poorly on the test for many reasons like issues in the home or trouble paying attention there, there's a million reasons why a kid might do bad on an ethics test but there's only one reason why they would get a hundred percent and that's because they are extremely ethical like your son is so just okay before i go and I, i'm not trying to rat on my son or say like i know he's cheated on other things before lied to me and his mother not recently but would that make you think oh maybe it makes like, me it think be. that he's overcome that behavior and that's really outstanding and can i just say i mean i was trying to be subtle about it but like i do get parents in here sometimes worrying about their children's high ethics scores and you know more often than not, when you drill down, it turns out those parents have had some poor ethics scores themselves in the past. I'm just gonna, feeling I, a little I, insecure. Just, I can cut you off there because that's not what's going on here. But I have, oh, okay, one, okay. I have one last question sure. just before you go. If hypothetically there was a kid who got, say, C- minus on his score, on his ethics scores, would that mean that that kid is bad at ethics, is unethical for life? compared to its son. You know, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, I'm an ethics teacher, right? So I'm master of ethics, you might say. What was your ethics score? It's one of my deepest, darkest secrets, and I only tell it to very special people. When I was young, actually when I was the same age that boy is now, I took an ethics test at about this time of the year 
and I got a D plus on it. Wow. Same test, same time of year. Yeah. Worse score than even the hypothetical, hypothetical I was telling yeah. you about. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time. Oh, sure, sure. So yeah, where do you I'm put a happy. tip on a teacher? Yeah, we don't take tips. Don't you need it? Isn't it like a big issue of not getting paid enough? I mean, sure. Yeah, you can just hand it to me. So this is in exchange for you changing the curriculum, right? No strings no, attached. No, it's no, just no. a tip. It's, yeah, right. Okay. Well, great meeting you. Would this you, has been a... Yeah, do you have time another time to meet and talk about the curriculum, but unrelated to the tip? Just you can use your fair judgment after that. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to give you back the tip. And I'll direct you to the school board website and you can contact them with any concerns you have about the curriculum. But I think I don't want to verge on anything unethical. Okay, just based on this interaction, though, if you were to give me a new ethics score today, where would you say I'm at? C minus. Sounds like one of those non-reflective scores you were talking about earlier. Could be, yeah. So I have to go or you have to go. I have to do work. So I need oh, you, you have to. to I'm, I guess I'm in your private office now. I have just yeah. been chilling. I wasn't even thinking about it. Papa and boy. <laughs> there are things in society right now that are in like very, very desperate need of being made more convenient first and foremost. And these are things we've talked about on the show a lot, like making it convenient to get food for free everywhere all the time in all restaurants super conveniences you know like the highest availability possible of the most important needs yeah i like the idea of a super convenience something that should be obtainable with little or no difficulty permanently no matter what that that would be a super convenience and so things like food shelter clothing education healthcare these should all be super conveniences in society getting healthcare when you need it should be the easiest thing in the world so convenient the touch of a button you get all the healthcare you need <laughs> you're whisked away in your floating chair to the doctor of your choice because i think that's another reason people get cynical about convenience in society today is because the way that capitalism incentivizes efforts to make things more convenient leads to a whole lot of conveniences in places where it's maybe trivial or even potentially damaging and very little convenience in places where it's desperately needed. Like it's very convenient for me to get a dopamine hit by opening up my Facebook app whenever I want. That app is so well designed to give me a dopamine hit. It's the easiest thing in the world for me at any moment. Even just mentioning it right now makes me want to open it up to get that dopamine hit because it's so easy, but I can't because I'm busy recording this podcast. When you think about the mass of human effort that's been put into making social media a convenient way to tweak your brain chemistry versus the amount of human effort that's been put into turning food into a super convenience, you can start to get cynical about the entire concept of convenience, especially as it is instantiated in capitalist society. I think that's another part of the way that convenience can seem exploitative. Yeah, and it's no secret that like with the profit motive, sometimes the cheapest option to generate convenience is to screw someone out of something they deserve, pay people the lowest wages, pump a bunch of toxins into some natural resource stream, food, water, air. If what's being measured here is how convenient is it for the consumer? How can you make it as cheap as possible to make as much profit as possible from the consumer to set the price point somewhere they'll like to generate the most business? That structural problem with the way that 
the system operates in a deregulated environment, there's a financial incentive to do a less ethical thing. The financial incentive to buy the tortured meat instead of the less tortured meat. Deep convenience is the kind of convenience that we advocate for. Deep convenience means convenient for everyone. So it's not an uneven kind of convenience that causes convenience for some but suffering on others. And it's not a kind of convenience that causes convenience for the people who are alive today, but suffering for future generations because of environmental externalities. It's like a harmony of conveniences on all levels. It's it's convenient non-destructively for everyone. That's the only kind of convenience that I think is worth pursuing. So like the more anti-capitalist left-leaning critique of convenience, I think has a better, that both of them have a point. And I think it definitely requires that we structure our theories of convenience so as to eliminate those potential problems, those, those actual problems that exist in the world of convenience as it is today. Yeah. And I think we should also remind people that capitalism, that's also pretty inconvenient through things like manufactured obsolescence, which require the repeated purchase of identical products rather than building things for longevity. Capitalism is the reason why we've all had the inconvenience of having our new phone's charger not plug in to our old phone's charger and having to go pay another fucking $30 for one of their obscenely priced goddamn cords. Just This is supposed to be a convenience store. What's convenient about spending that much money for something which obviously just takes sense to produce? There are places for opportunists to take advantage of inconvenience. That's part of the distrust of convenience also. It's like marketers come with these misleading lies of convenience. Take the cell phone, take it with you. It's gonna be so convenient. You'll always be able to contact everyone. Get with the times. And then like after 15 years of it or whatever, you're like, ah, oh, I can't see properly anymore because I've burned my retinas. <laughs> And you're like, oh, I keep on looking at Facebook, even though it doesn't make me happy. And I actually resent it. And I don't look at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds every 20 minutes of looking at a screen. So now my eyes are broken. One of only a limited number of senses. So like yeah. the more of those you lose. Not something I would choose. So yeah, being sold by marketers, one sort of bill of goods and then getting a whole another complex thing. Yeah, it's an unrealistic view of convenience because as we've maintained throughout this entire episode, there's a give and a take with them and there's certain things that might be lost with the introduction of a certain convenience but a marketer's never going to tell you that they're just like this makes everything super easy not like here's what you'll be losing because of this that's not going to help you buy it right like yeah, and so i mean the convenience store is an important thing if you want to actually move it towards real convenience yeah, the dream of the convenience store if you're already wealthy the modern convenience store is great it's sufficient you're like oh i can spend eight dollars on a single roll of toilet paper i really need it how convenient that this is here the thing is is that convenience isn't something that just passively happens that washes over us like waves and that we're just passive participants and but we're actually active participants and we get to decide politically what conveniences are prioritized and what direction we consider for the future of convenience convenience for who and convenience to do what the society that we live in has been really good at creating and producing things like cars and washing machines and whatever that save us time in life. So we've got more time to be free, to be human beings and do all that we're capable of, not by necessity, but 
through a, a real freedom. So when we advocate for convenience, we're participating in the process of shaping the future of convenience and saying that convenience should be delivered to those most inconvenienced first, and that we should have a sense of priorities over the scale of, say, the inconvenience of not having a home versus the inconvenience of having no more first-class seats available. Maybe it's also good for us to remember that when we're being inconvenienced, is be like, is this closer to getting bumped from first class, or is this closer to not having a home and then react accordingly. Oh man, the convenience of first class is the perfect crystallization of the like capitalist bad version of convenience and that it's like just for some and everyone else has to do the thing that sucks. Like you understand why a rich person who is bumped from first class would be upset about that because flying in the back of airplanes in the majority of airplane sucks, especially if it's a long time. They're like really small. And especially if you're like a bigger person, it's an extremely uncomfortable experience on purpose because they have to get as much money as they can from as many people as they can to fit them all in there. But if you can give a lot more money, then you can get a decent amount of personal space to exist for the duration of this flight. A society with like true deep convenience, all of the seats on the plane would be the same. It shouldn't suck that much to be on a plane or maybe you could have like smaller more cramped planes for shorter flights and better ones for longer flights that would be more reasonable than better flights for people who pay more like bringing the convenience of first class the convenience of having enough room on the plane to everybody is the goal here defending convenience isn't about defending first class it's about abolishing first class and making all the seats on the plane the same and all good maybe there still should be some bigger seats but for people who are bigger oh, so right, you can yeah, have absolutely. as many people as possible rather than the formal equality of all equal seats with all different people forced into it and it connects to one of the things that got us talking about convenience was in one of our library socialism episodes. We're talking about complementarity, basically the idea of like getting the right book to the right reader is the metaphor. That is convenience. Again, the question of convenience for whom and the convenience to do what, it should be tied up in the questions of like best meeting everyone's needs. That's what a super convenience is, a deep convenience, a mutually deeply convenient arrangement for everyone. So when I say that I like convenience stores, what I'm saying is I like what convenience stores could one day be for all. They wouldn't even be a store anymore. It would be like the convenience depot, the convenience dispensary, the convenient, the, maybe we could just call it the convenience in the noun sense of like these buildings that are in every neighborhood that have things that you need are such a convenience that we call them the convenience. And maybe like the shipping systems, the systems that move stuff around could network all of these conveniences to like major convenience depots, depending on the types of thing that you're asking for and could prioritize based on need. Like Amazon is cool and like I get why people use Amazon where you can be like, I'm going to get this stuff to my house and it's going to show up on my door. But in the way that our society is structured, this convenience, like why is the epitome of convenience exists there rather than based on meeting people's strongest needs? Why does the energy in our society end up being like, how can we get people to get the things they order on Amazon the same day instead of putting our resources and energy and like, how do we get people who really need things what they need.
Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by The Future We Were Promised, coming to life. We live in a time of unparalleled convenience. Food and products delivered directly to your door. Robots that clean the walls. And an abundance of leisure time, ever growing. All the wonders of modern technology have eliminated drudgery, lifted us up out of needing to constantly run the rat race on the rat wheel just to survive like rats. Finally, we have achieved a society of pure convenience where everybody can become the people that they were always meant to be. The future we were promised is here, now, today. And that future is the scroll. Dad, are we going to be having dinner soon? What are you doing? Oh, just scrolling past some pictures of boats, son. Mighty beauty boats. Love it. Maybe scroll over to your recipe stream and scroll up something for dinner. No, I think I could scroll up something. To, here, one second. I'm just going to scroll takeout. Anybody want takeout? I was really hoping for some of Dad's homemade food. Father's touch. Lamb shanks, maybe? I just had a memory pop up on my feed from when you made lamb shanks. Uh, yeah, I do have a certain je ne sais quoi when it comes to the preparation of meals. But... <laughs> oh, sorry. I just scrolled past something funny. Can you send that to my feed, son? I could use a good laugh. Sure, Mom. Swoosh that right over to you. You'll be scrolling by it in no time. I'm not sure what we're going to have for dinner, son. I've still got some scrolling to do for now, but... I think we can all agree that it's a good thing that we live in a society with a lot of leisure time, because if we didn't, we'd barely have any time to scroll social feeds. Yeah, back when people had to clean their own homes or when we had to nurture each other emotionally before all of that was taken over by robots, that took up so much of people's day, nurturing human interaction. So convenient that we automated it away. Couldn't agree more, son. I'm going to send you an animated GIF of some people hugging from a television show. A small half smile will flicker over my face as I scroll past it and remember the imagined feeling of what I think a family hug would feel like. If you were just watching me, you wouldn't know that much had changed, but for that half smile flicker on my face, which is the greatest joy my life currently holds. I'll scroll to that, son. I'm gonna scroll and scroll and scroll till I go to the great social feed in the sky. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong brought to you by the future we were promised. Unprecedented leisure time used in the best possible way. And just a little quick special announcement regarding that last advertisement it's in the show. It's a trivia tidbit, but it's also credit where credit's due. Yeah, this ad was written by famous street artist Banksy. So thank you for your help on the show, for your guest spot. Keep up the great work. Keep up the street art. It's challenging stuff. We do want a society of pure convenience, right? I mean, full automation. Absolutely. I think we should at least give it a try. And if it turns out that it's too convenient and we all have no meaning in our lives and we have existential credit, we can always break something and then have to rebuild. Like we could just make some things hard if we really need to later. So that's not a reason not to even try it. We got to try it out and see how it works. I think it's going to work great. I don't think that's going to be a problem, but I'm just saying if it is a problem, it's an easy one to fix because it's easy to make things hard. And it's hard to make things easy. Oh, yeah. You can spend all day building an elaborate card castle using thousands and thousands of cards in the most beautiful arrangement, the society of pure convenience. And then it just takes one person to like slap it all down like a dick. So it's always easier to generate horror. Yeah, struggle and difficulty.
if you're concerned about us running out, we can always make more. But right now, there's actually too much of it. There are people all over the world who have more struggle, more difficulty, more problems than they can bear. That's the more common problem in society right now. It's not that things are too easy. And so yeah, yeah, convenience is an important aspect of making the world a better, smoother place for people to live in. Yeah. And and like I said it before, I said it at the beginning, convenience is what allows us to explore who we want to be when we don't have to do anything, to self-actualize and follow our dreams. It sounds a bit hokey, but it's like you need that. And that, and making that available, not just to the feudal lords as the serfs work under them, not just to the rich business owners as the workers work under them, not just the middle and upper middle classes of wealthy industrialized countries, but to everyone on the planet to have that space to explore who you want to be, that, that type of existential freedom. And so that's why I think we should have a society of pure convenience, full automation, especially for the most important things first in such a way so that it doesn't inconvenience anyone else. It's convenient for us and everyone else now and in the future for all time. Uh, this has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. Convenience recording this. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. We're grateful, and we're signing off for another week. All the best to you. Wish you the best. You're seriously wrong. You're seriously wrong. You're seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. You're wrong. You're 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 seriously wrong. You're wrong. I'm wrong. You're wrong. I'm wrong. You're wrong. Next time on Seriously Wrong. A dire warning for those who have been skipping the next times. Oh, yikes. Okay, we have some egg on our face. You know, we didn't think this through. Apparently, some people have been skipping the next times because they figure, I'll just hear it in the next episode. I don't want to be spoiled, you know? I'm listening to the back catalog. They're telling me what's going to be in the next episode anyways. So I'm just going to go right to that next episode and listen to it directly rather than hearing it twice. That's redundant. A lot of the times in these end of the episode previews, they give away the whole plot. I've seen that on so many TV shows. I don't want that. So the next, it's always original content. Yeah, we actually do another bit there it's a special little bit at the end for all the friends out there at workplaces where they're listening to their podcast they can't take the podcast from their ears and hit next time we want to put a treat right there at the end of the episode for the people sticking it through working people working with their hands so you know it might seem convenient to skip right at that moment before you hear what they say but i'm telling you to keep listening those words are a lie a hundred percent of the time we're lying to you when we say that that's what's going to happen next time yeah if we we're truthful we'd be saying this time on seriously wrong right now at because you're still listening at the end <laughs> the last part of this seriously wrong something like that would be more truthful but we're liars well it's it's, it's artistry right you know part of the artistry is lying it's like no you heard a cow sound oh hey, hi mr cow oh i'm petting him oh yeah 
that, that cow sound effect. There's no cow in the room. <laughs> Imagine if we only ever told the truth. Oh, hello, cow that we're pretending is here. <laughs> it wouldn't work. So we have to lie. <laughs> and this will all be next time on the show. Yeah, next time.